0: This is the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Tom Church, and the Libertarian is Professor Richard Epstein. Richard is the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow here at the Hoover Institution. He's the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU and is a senior lecturer at the University of Chicago. And, Richard, it's Chicago I want to talk about today. You had a column yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, uh, co authored with uh, Michael Ratchlis, about the controversy surrounding President Obama's presidential library. And it's been over five years since President Obama um, stepped down from the presidency, finished it. And normally, I think we'd expect to see a bit more progress on a presidential library. But instead, there's an ongoing legal fight and financial woes to talk about. So, Richard, help me out here. Why, why is there any legal challenge here in, in the first place?
1: I'm the first thing to help you out with is you have the wrong description of the project. Uh, it is a presidential center. It is not a library. Oh. This is not a terminological difference. If you're a library, you are governed by a statute known as NARA, which is the one involved with a lot of the Trump papers, the National uh, you know, Archive and Research affiliation. So they have all the papers and the building essentially cannot be over 70 feet high and has other restraints. The Obamas wanted to build this tower in Jackson Park, uh, which is a world class historical tower. Park, uh, designed in 1869 or so by Frederick Law Olmsted, and generally regarded as the greatest landscape architect in the history of the United States and maybe in the history of the world, and has a very precise situation. So in order to build it there, they wanted to have a degree of grandeur. They wanted it to be 235 feet high and that you can't do that. So they changed it to from a library to a center, which means that they don't have a presidential library as a building. And they're planning to do that with a bunch of documents, which will be photocopied, microwaved, whatever it is, stored in one form or another at a site to be determined and perhaps never determined. It may well just be a kind of a virtual library of one form or another. Well, a project like this in a park like that is going to have to go through a number of uh, procedural hurdles to get through. And it turns out what the uh, Obama Foundation does is it talks at great length with the city It's not an arm's length negotiation in the sense that the city mayor is Rahm Emanuel, who was, in fact, the chief of staff of Obama for part of the time when he was in office. And then it has to go through the Democratic aldermen who constitute the city council, all of whom are people who kind of work in his particular favor. And there are extensive discussions about this and kinds of hearings. And what happens is the city passes a resolution announcing that we will take our guidance from President Obama and Michelle Obama's the location of this particular operation. And there are a number of sites that are offered, including one near Washington Park, which is another public park further west than the park that you have in Jackson Park, but it has not been designed like the uh, situation in Jackson Park. It's just a bunch of baseball fields, nothing particularly distinguished. But if you go to the private land, which is about uh, just to the left of this, to the west of this, uh, there is a piece of contiguous land, about 10 acres or so in size, which is over the red line near the green line next to the freeways on major thoroughfares with very few trees or anything on it. And that was a alternative site which they have systematically spurned As some of the people who have worked with us what we did is we hired a great architect you hear the word great architect a man named Graham balcony and what he did was he designed a program that would do everything that the Obama Center wanted on this particular space, but do it with genuine grandeur and style. Uh, this is not just my view uh, the master plan award given for last year by the American Architectural Institute or Association was given to for his large-scale project. So it was regarded as the finest in this genre in the company for the year in which it was done. And one starts to present this to the Obamas, but they are very intent on being in uh, Jackson Park because it has a prestigious location by the lay front. And they want to make sure that it can be seen maximally from every location, north, south, east, and west. So one of the things that they do is they prevail upon the city to let them build the building uh, 100 feet further north than the original site. That means it's going to dwarf the rather distinguished building called the Museum of Science and Industry, now named after Ken Griffin. and it also means that you have to close additional roads that take you from the lakefront into the center of Hyde Park, just so he could cite this in the place they wanted. And the city council acquiesces to this particular situation. Then you have to go through the planning type situations and a variety of stuff. And there are three different heads of contention that have to be involved. And it was only the third that I talked about in the Wall Street Journal column. The first of them is the so-called public trust doctrine. And the theory of this, which dates back to ancient time, is that public park lands are held in trust and that the duties of a public trustee are similar to those of a private trustee, and they include duties of loyalty and duties of care. And one of the duties of loyalty is that you cannot give away public property to private parties uh, unless you get a full amount in return, if you can give it away at all. And what happened is the city basically says, we're going to give 19 acres right in the center of Jackson Park, right where the roads meet, right where it's most valuable. And we're going to demand in exchange $10. And then you will build the center at your own expense. And we challenged that um, as a breach of the duty of loyalty for the giveaway. In a simply dreadful opinion that Amy Barrett issued when she was, in fact, the uh, judge on the Seventh Circuit, uh, she denied that there was any kind of violation that she had to worry about claiming that citizens cannot bring suits to stop these things, and the only kinds of suits you could try to bring is a neighbor's suit. You're next door to this thing and you want to stop it. Those suits have never been allowed, but our suit was not a neighbor's suit. Our suit was a citizen suit, and in fact, those have been explicitly allowed uh, by the Illinois Supreme Court in a case called Pepke decided in 1970. So we were shut out on the merits with the federal claims and remanded on the state claims because of want of standing. We refiled our particular suit on that issue, and it was then rejected for terrible reasons, I think, by Judge uh, John Robert Blakey, who is the district court judge who's been in charge of all of this stuff. He is, in fact, an Obama appointee, but that's not the reason why he rejected the opinion. We rejected the opinions because they're terrible. Uh, The second suit that was brought was an environmental suit. And this has to do with the fact that given this particular location, uh, you have to cut down a thousand trees and you have to create massive interference with the way in which things work along the Chicago lakefront, including migratory birds, which pass over this particular location. And what we said is, in effect, that putting the Jackson Park thing, in the, uh, the Obama Center in Jackson Park, is absolutely indefensible because of this alternative site. Uh, But the Obama Foundation and the city were able to persuade the court that there was no such project as doing this. What they were doing was widening Lakeshore Drive, and they were widening Stony Island Drive, and they were narrowing Cornell Drive, which is right in the middle. And it was only road work that was involved. And obviously, you can't fix the road work in Jackson Park by building in Washington Park or nearby. So they refused under this so-called segmentation of the project, to allow us. And we are now trying to get that opinion up. Uh, But at this particular point, it's again tied up. And then the third suit that we have came only relatively late in the day. Uh, But it's one to understand, which is the city, when they negotiated the particular transaction with the Obama Foundation, it was a transaction for the transmission of the possession of land, which had the usual kinds of stipulations that are put in land transactions. The city was pretty clear that it was willing to give land for a song, but it was not willing to pay for the Obama Foundation and the construction of the building. Uh, So there were two conditions that were listed as strict condition precedents, meaning if they weren't satisfied, you could delay the project, but you could not begin the project and hope to make up the fund shortage later. And one of those was that you had to prove that you had received enough money to build the project both on the day that you got the initial authorization and on the final day. And what the Obama Foundation has said is they've received enough money to do this, but they neglected to say that they didn't keep the money for that particular purpose. In fact, they spent it for all sorts of other purposes. But they said the only thing we have to do is receive the money. We don't have to keep it. And our view is if this is a transaction to secure a construction of the building and relieve the city of financial liabilities, uh, to allow them to spend it on something else is essentially no security, at all. And then what they had to do was to establish an endowment uh, to maintain this building after it was completed and to improve it and to secure it. And they had listed in their 2020 return the amount of capital needed for that is $470 million. Uh, The project originally they thought in 2021 would cost about $482 million. But by August, that number was up to $700 million. The contract required them to show that they had that amount on hand before closing, uh, and they didn't even honor that particular provision at all. We then sued to stop it, and the trial judge said, you're not allowed to do this. And he assumed that we were suing on the contract when we were not suing as a beneficiary of the contract. We were suing as citizens trying to block something which the city was not allowed to do. And there are a dozen cases in Illinois uh, which says that you are allowed to stop dissipation of assets by suing in the citizenship. So that was the decided in one day on January 6th. And what happens is it's now at the end of August, and we're still trying to figure out how we can get to an appellate court. And so the article that we wrote together was essentially a plea that since the litigation is hopelessly bogged down, that public authorities look at this transaction. Everything here is on the public record. And what they will discover is that the Obama Foundation has told you the truth when you said that they have raised a billion dollars since its foundation, but they've spent most of that money. We then looked at the balance sheet and tried to figure out how it was constituted. And it turns out part of their asset base is stuff in the ground so they can't spend it again. Part of it is in restricted funds somewhere else. Part of it has to go to annual expenses, which are quite hard. And some of it is available for, but not dedicated to the construction of the building. And so we said they haven't satisfied that condition. And for the endowment, what they did is they put $1 million into a fund, uh, which needs to have at least as of that date, $470 million. And they said they have a full endowment. But in the history of the entire world, an endowment doesn't mean a promise to raise money. Uh, It means that you have the money in hand in either cash or binding pledges, and they are basically completely short. You then take this thing further today, and it's quite clear that delays, construction complications, and inflation have taken both those fingers and raised them further. And so, we say they're not in a position to do anything now. And the key date that mattered was August 13th when they signed this thing and they were out of compliance. But we can't get anything going through the suit. So we're urging everybody in public government, everybody who runs a newspaper to investigate these particular numbers, because what we are saying is not private information. All that we do is based upon public documents that are available for people who just simply open up the case file and they can see all the exchanges that have taken place or open up the tax returns and the annual reports of the Obama Foundation. If they look at it, they will see that the 2020 annual report has fairly detailed information as to their enormous ambitions to trying to raise money. They failed short of all those targets. They raised less money last year than they did the year before. And they will continue to raise less money because the Obama brand is somewhat tarnished at this particular point uh, that you start looking at this stuff. And then you realize that if they should not have done this at all, you have to stop the project and return things back to the status quo ante. Uh, we can't get this through litigation. God knows when we will actually get an appeal. Uh, but anybody who's out there can run an investigation. All of this is a matter of public record um and it is not an answer for the obama foundation to say that we've raised a billion dollars over our life when probably the of those expenditures well well over two-thirds of it had probably been spent on other projects
0: richard who's uh we so who's party to your lawsuit um i'd like uh, to know uh, is, it, is it just you and a handful of people how popular is the development or is the is the
1: opposition to this presidential center well this is complicated I got into this case in a backhanded way. Um, There was another lawyer who was running the case at the trial level, and it was in front of Judge Blakey, and they won on standing, meaning that they were allowed to hear the case, and then they got clobbered on the merits. And at the time of the appeal, they said, we would like you, that is, the protect our parks and one or two individual plaintiffs to take over this case. And I said, look, I'm not a lawyer in the sense I don't do motion practice or any of this, but there's a man named Michael Rackless and he and I worked together in 2003 in a futile effort to stop them from putting a toilet bowl on top of Soldier Field and defacing a national monument. And I said, the two of us together can do this because we have complementary skills. Michael understands motion practice much better than I do. And he has an intimate knowledge of all of the ins and outs of the various players concerned with local parks, knows the law inside and out. And I'm the kind of constitutional theorist. And so we've been a very cohesive team. We added a third man named Tom Gardner, who's extremely learned uh, to help us with some of the litigation. And against us is Sidley and Austin. The first time through, we had Protect Our Parks uh, and a couple of individuals. The second time through, when we have to start over again, we bring in different individuals. I want to hasten to mention that everybody we brought in is a, voted for Obama in uh, 2012 and 2008. They're all Democrats. The two most conspicuous people are a man named Jamie Calvin, whom I've known for 50 years. And he's essentially a good government type. And what his beef is with respect to the city of Chicago is that it always manages to do corrupt things instead of honest things. And he's written quite eloquently about that. And our other sort of name plaintiff who is known to the world at large is a man named Tom Mitchell, who's a professor of English literature at the University of Chicago. Very far to the left, not like me, but he's also an expert on landscape architecture. And so, you know, he knows exactly uh, the sort of the intellectual theory behind the um, Olmsted Park, his philosophy, his behaviors. And it's absolutely antithetical to, antithetical to everything that's been done there. Uh, he wanted these things to be people's parks. He wanted them to have roads that ran through them. He wanted people to be able to go places and to sit there. And the one thing that he was supposed to, uh, unless they were designed originally into the building, was putting up large towers, which would essentially isolate one portion of the park from everybody else. So, I mean, we felt that we had both the expertise on the landscape and on political government. and we bring the lawsuit. Uh, We brought this lawsuit essentially in the second round. in I guess it was in April of 2021. And it's been nonstop frustration ever since the time we did it. The first thing that happened is the city And the Obama Foundation insists that the case ought not to be assigned by rotation, which is the standard rule. What they insisted ought to go back to Judge Blakey, who had heard the earlier case, even though there was no earlier case. And what happens is they win that particular motion and are back in the court of a judge who was basically very hostile to opposition in the earlier appeal. And there's nothing you could do to appeal these things. And then we lose ruling after ruling in front of him. We don't win anything at any point. And so at this particular point, it's the question of writing the column. And I'm preparing a much longer paper, which will go into this in detail, to try to explain the case so that we can get the court of public opinion uh, to join in this stuff and have reporters start asking them hard questions about this because their general attitude is we don't exist And the reason we don't exist is the moment they start to engage us on any of the legal issues, they'll be called into question. So their strategy has always been to pretend as though the lawsuit does not exist. If you look at their annual report, for example, there's no mention of it whatsoever as any kind of a serious type of consideration. Um, And what they're trying to do is essentially have basically photo ops the Obamas looking at the lakefront, the Obamas turning the shovel into the ground, the Obamas with a bunch of kids who are going to benefit from the program. I hasten to say uh, that the other site that we have championed is a superior site for everything except personal grandeur, and it's far cheaper to build and has far greater access. The way this thing is now designed, there's a cul-de-sac in a very an area which is not open to growth. So you have to get into a single entrance, um, all of your customers, all of your employees, all of your deliveries and everything else that comes in. And our architect, Graham Balkan, he says you can't turn anything around in that space, given that constraint. He also has looked very closely at the plans with respect to being underwater. And the water table at that location is extremely high. And that means that you're going to have to build for a very tall building, extremely deep. Uh, this building is uh, you know, three times the height of the Museum of Science and Industry. You're going to have to have an underground garage, at least partly underground and so forth. Uh, so water table problems will be very serious. And any storm can do this whole thing. If you move a mile and a half to the west and so forth, these problems are cut by 90%.
0: Last two questions for you here, Richard. It sounds like a lot of your legal challenges have, prevent, have been prevented on the grounds of standing. Um, and you've been you know, making these challenges because you think the city has not been, well, holding to uh, the contract that um, holding them to the contract that they signed. Mm-hmm. Who else would have standing to prevent decisions like this, if not private citizens? And then lastly, what do you think the likelihood is that the development at
1: Jackson Park will be prevented? Ah, those are two very fast questions. The answer is back in 1970 when they decided the Pepke case, they had in front of them an earlier decision which says that the only people who are allowed to challenge a misuse of public lands are neighbors who had a discreet interest in it. And there had been a situation with Montgomery Ward who had sold certain lands to the city under a covenant that they would not build to block his view uh, from Michigan Avenue and they enforce that covenant privately. Well, in the Obama situation, there is no private neighbor whose views are obscured. And so what happened is, in a case called Drosky, uh, Drusky, they said, nobody can sue to stop this, which is the point you made. And four years later, they thought about it and said, this is crazy. If there's a situation where everybody is harmed and nobody is sued, then the government could get away with blue murder. So what they said was every citizen of the city of Chicago has an undivided interest in that particular property, and any of them can sue to enjoin what is an illegal act. And then they gave a whole variety of conditions as to what would make an act legal or illegal. And essentially, if you transfer public property from one government use to another government use, there's a relatively low level of scrutiny. But the moment you transfer it out to private properties and you don't get any money back, it's got to be much higher. And so that was the case that essentially did this. We then come, and both on the fact they shouldn't have done this deal at all, and then on the other question, that they didn't do it right, we said, As citizens of the city of Chicago, we have a standing to make sure that the government does things correctly, which we do. And that was the position that Judge Blakey denied. He said we were suing as third party beneficiaries under the contract, which we were not um, and he said those are banned under article thirty four of this contract, which it was, and so we go into him and say, "Look, we're not suing that way. That's on the first page of our papers, and what he does is he writes an opinion which says, "You're bringing this as a third party beneficiary. you're out then if you can't bring the basic claim, you can't bring any derivative claims as well." He did it in a paragraph, and he did it one day after we filed. About papers. And that was in January, January 6th at what? And now we're nine months later and we're still tied up. And so the basic intuition is anybody should be able to sue if they're a citizen of Chicago. You don't have the right to sue if you're a citizen of Texas. Um, and so therefore, these claims are perfectly valid. And what you should do is you have to open up the books. Well, politically, the standing arguments don't matter. And the governor, the mayor, the alderman, anybody who wants to do it in a newspaper should be able to get that information. And what I've said is, since all of this is on the public record, the inference is pretty clear that they are well over a billion dollars short of the amount of money that they need to have in hand to finish the building and to essentially establish the endowment fund. So now what's the prospect of winning? Well, I am not very optimistic on some of these fronts. As I said in some of these columns, it's not very easy to litigate against the Obamas in Chicago. Uh, If you try to figure out who's allied against you, well, in this case, the judge is certainly not in our corner. Um, And then beyond that, if you're trying to get help from Mr. Buttercheek about the environmental claims, he doesn't bother to answer a comment to do anything about it. If you're trying to get help with respect to the dissipation of public funds, uh, there's nobody in the city council who's going to help you at all. You're certainly not going to get any help at this point from the mayor, who's also very devoted to... um, Obama, the governor, uh, Mr. Pritzker, not going to happen there. Uh, The attorney general of the state of Illinois, uh, the district attorney with respect to the Cook County, none of these people are going to help you. And, and so it's very difficult when you do this stuff. But my view, and I've been done this case pro bono now for over three years, um, is that it's such an important issue. It's representative of not only this particular case, but of an entire style of governance uh, that we hope that we can generate some public interest so that people are going to start to look. It's not very difficult. If you sit down and look at all these papers The only thing the Obamas will say is, well, we raised a billion dollars, to which the answer is you've already spent most of that money. The question is not how much you raised in the past. The question is, do you have the money at the simplest level to go forward? They don't give us any current estimates. They don't explain how they complied with the standards applicable in August of uh, 2021. So my view is that the legal case on this is airtight, airtight. Uh, but that the political difficulties are something which we have to overcome, and this is an effort to do so. I'm optimistic. If you looked at the comments in the Wall Street Journal, um, they were overwhelmingly in favor of the position that we have taken. And most people have said, look, we know what's going on here. The Obamas know they can't pay for it themselves. And so when the, prices, when the project reaches a crisis point, they'll reach out to the city, the state, and the federal government and hope to get a subvention of a billion dollars to bring it home. I think that's the game plan that they have. It's illegal under the particular contract. We'll see whether it plays out one way or the other.
0: You've been listening to the Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Make sure to read Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, published over at Defining Ideas at hoover.org. If you found this conversation thought-provoking, please share it with your friends and rate our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. For Richard Epstein, I'm Tom Church. See you next time.
1: This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.